the song this morning. Take your Bibles and all that God has done for us. It's easy to worship the Lord who has been so good to us. We're in Acts chapter 9. I'm going to let you remain seated this morning. Uh, we have a lot of folks here this morning, and uh, the scripture passage is a little bit longer. And so if you have your Bible or if you have somebody that's sitting next to you, you can look on with them if you don't have a copy of God's Word. But we're in Acts chapter number 9 this morning. And uh, we are going to read uh, quite a few verses here. You can follow along. There's an outline that you received in the bulletin this morning. And uh, again, we want to thank you for visiting with us today. And uh, as we look at this day we call Friend Day, I want to speak to you uh, as we continue this series that we're in on Sunday mornings. And I've entitled this series, Live It Out. And what this series has been about is about the part of our life that we who are Christians, that once we got saved, God began a work in us, that we began our journey of faith, and as we live the Christian life, there are things that are a part of what we call sanctification, God doing his work in our lives, and uh, this is yet another one of those areas this morning that, that oftentimes uh, it, it might be eventually seen publicly it's something that begins internally in our hearts, and that is just being a friend, uh, being a friend to those around us. And, and uh, so many of you have a friend with you this morning, and that is that you encourage them to be with you today, and I'm so glad that they came our way. And we're going to look at it, uh, not only one, but two individuals that were a friend, and we're going to try to learn something from these individuals in the life of someone that God uh, has talked about, that God used in such a wonderful way. And so let's begin reading in Acts chapter number 9, beginning in verse number 10, and we'll read down to verse number 31 of this chapter. The Bible says, as you read there along with me, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, and putting his hand on him, and that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've, I have heard by many of this man which much evil, uh, which uh, heard of this man, how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake, and Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and he rose and was baptized." And when he had received meat, he was strengthened, and then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached 
Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and come hither, uh, came hither for this intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their lying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them, how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea, and sent him forth to Tarsus, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Now, when you look at this passage, you see the story of a man that honestly did not have many friends. Many believe that Saul might not have had any friends because of the man that he was, the, the attitude, the spirit that he had, he was to many a very mean man, a very hard man. The Bible records that as you approach Acts chapter number 9, where we are this morning, that Saul was a man that was doing everything in his power to oppose the work of God. He just had a bent like many today, he wanted nothing to do with God. And the Bible says that after spending much time and extending much energy to try to stop what we would call today Bible Christianity, that Saul decided to go out of his way, he was doing it with authority, to go to a city by the name of Damascus, to where when he got there, he wasn't going on a vacation, he was going to find more people that were believers in Christ. So many today do not want to know anything about God, do not want to know, as the ladies sang this morning, about all the good things that God has done for us. Saul was one of those individuals. He was a man that did not have a lot of friends. Now, I, I don't know about you, I hope this morning that you do have some friends. They often say that having friends, that true friends, you can count them many times on one hand. How many true friends you may have. And I have a lot of folks that I call friends, and I love to read stories about how people were friends to other people. One of those stories that I read this past week was about a man by the name of Mr. Sam Rayburn who years ago was the Speaker of the United States House of Representatives. 
This man was the Speaker of the House longer than any other man in the history as far as the Speaker of the House. And there's a story about Sam Rayburn that reveals the kind of man that Sam really was. The teenage daughter of a friend of his died suddenly one night. Uh, hearing the news, early the next morning, the man heard a knock at his door, and when he opened the door, there stood Mr. Rayburn. The speaker said to him, I came by to see what I could do to help. The father replied in his deep grief, I don't think there's anything that you can do, Mr. Speaker. We're making all the arrangements. Mr. Rayburn said, well, have you had your coffee this morning? The man replied that they had not even taken time, had even thought about breakfast with all that was going on. So Mr. Rayburn said that he would at least make coffee for them. And while he was working in the kitchen, a man came into the kitchen and said to him, Mr. Speaker, I thought that you were supposed to be having breakfast at the White House this morning. Mr. Rayburn replied, well, I was. He says, but I called the president and told him that I have a friend who was in trouble and I couldn't come. He skipped his breakfast with the president of the United States because he had a friend that had a need. Mr. Rayburn and so many like him are real friends, true friends. A true friendship is valuable and, and the reality is it's a rare commodity to have a true friend. Most people are constantly looking for friends. Saul was a man that as we look at the passage this morning, he was a man that recently, when we get to where we are, he had been saved miraculously by the grace of God. His life was changed or being changed by God. And as I think about him, in, in the Bible records here that after Saul had his encounter with the Lord on the road to Damascus, that he spent three days where he was probably one of the loneliest people that has ever not had a friend. He spent time without anyone in his life. He probably got to the point where he was begging God for a friend, just someone that cared about him. He had traveled 120 miles to this city and as he was nearing it, he had his encounter with the Lord. And, and so as we look at this passage this morning, that as the Lord met him, the, that the Bible records that God took his eyesight from him. Now that doesn't happen uh, to many people when God begins to deal with him. For, for whatever reason, God chose to put Saul in the dark. He could not see anything. He was there and he remained in the dark for those three days. And while he was in the darkness, Saul was doing a lot of thinking. He was thinking about his life and what he had spent his life for. All the wasted energy. And he began to realize that everything that he believed to be true was false. That he had been living his life for all the wrong reasons. He began to understand that Jesus wasn't the enemy, that Jesus is the Lord, that he's the Son of God. 
See, God has a way sometimes of showing himself to us just like he did Saul. As he sat there in the darkness, I'm sure that with all that he had done in his life, that no doubt he expected the judgment of God to come down on his life. All the things that he had done were not good things. They were wicked things, evil things to so many people that did not deserve it. He had done everything in his power to oppose God. And he probably wondered whether God would even allow him to live. If God was going to take his life. And so in those three days, what did Saul experience like so many today without a friend? He experienced loneliness. He experienced grief, despair. Those were Saul's friends during those three days. In the depths of his loneliness, God was about to reveal to him something that I hope you have in your life today, and that is the power of a friend. God was about to give Saul not only one friend, but two of the best friends that anyone could ever have. The first of those friends we read about in our passage this morning was a man by the name of Ananias. Ananias, God said to him, I want you to go to Saul, and the Lord commanded him to go, and although he was frightened, the Bible says that Ananias obeyed God. I don't know about you, but sometimes there's certain things God asks us to do, and there is a, a certain fear that comes over us because of what God is asking us to do, but he obeyed God, and he became the first friend that Saul would have in his, in his new family of faith. Now, that was Ananias. The second of his friends was a man by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas became Saul's advocate. He became a friend of Saul in the city of Jerusalem. If it had not been for Barnabas, Saul would have probably never met the rest of the disciples of the Lord. God used both of these men. And it's impossible to understate the power of, of a genuine friend. It's critically important that not only that we would have friends, but that you and I ourselves would be friends to others in our lives too. And so from the lives of these two men, Ananias and Barnabas, what are some things that we can learn about being a real friend to others? I want you to notice the first thing I see this morning is that a friend will always be there. A friend will always be there. I have found this true if you've lived long enough that the best friends in your lives are the ones that they they find a way to be with you even during tough times. Sometimes I've gone on hospital visits. I've gone to people's homes. I'll never forget years ago when a good friend of mine died while we were in Bible college. And he was very serious with a young lady that had become good friends of ours. And I remember finding her and having to give her that news. I didn't know what to say to her. I've gone to hospitals and made visits. I've come alongside of some dear friends. And the only thing I know how to do to be a friend in times like that is just be there. Just be there for them. 
A friend sometimes will drive hundreds of miles out of their way to be with you. They will cancel an appointment to be there with you. Real friends don't stop sometimes with a phone call or a letter or an email. They'll find a way to get in their car and to come be with you. Ananias, amazingly, was there for Saul. Even though at this particular time, in Ananias' mind, Saul was not a friend, he was an enemy. Look at the Bible says in Luke 6, Jesus said, Love your enemies, do good to them. He says, Lend hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. You see, sometimes God will ask us, like he asked Ananias, I want you to be a friend to someone, even if they don't want to be your friend, even if they're not your friend. Look, there's no doubt Ananias had friends. He had his own circle of friends. He had family in his life. He lived in this city known as Damascus. And uh, just like everyone else, he probably kept up with the Damascus newspaper, you know. He was probably keeping up with uh, the activities of this one by the name of Saul that honestly at this time, they probably looked at Saul like he was a terrorist because that's really what he was doing, terrorizing Christians. Yet, what did God say to Ananias? He said, Ananias, I have a new friend for you. Now, can you imagine having heard all the news and knowing all you knew about this man, and God would say to you, I want you to go and to befriend this type of person. Imagine how you would have felt, because that's probably how Ananias felt. And even though he didn't fully understand, here's what Ananias did by his very actions. He said, yes, Lord. You see, he went to Saul in his time of need. He was willing to become a friend to an enemy despite his fears. Folks, listen, I'm going to tell you something. There is power in a personal visit from a friend. Amen. I see that we can learn a lot by Ananias that he was a friend that was there for Saul. But notice another good attribute of a friend is, is that a friend knows the power of a gentle touch. The power of a gentle touch. A touch can be uh, a way that we show sympathy. It could be a way that we show our friendship. It's sometimes even a way to show trust between us and that other person. Look back in your, in your passage there in verse 17. And I want you to look at verse 17 again. The Bible says here, Ananias went his way and he entered into the house, putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, you know, Ananias is saying, look, I want you to understand that that I'm here because God sent me to you. And I, I think about this great gift that Ananias was for Saul at this time, how that he became a friend to Saul, that Saul had come there. It, look, we all know, if you know anything about this passage, 
that the whole reason, the intent of Saul was to go to Damascus to bind the hands of those that believe what we believe this morning. But I think it's kind of neat to see that instead of Saul binding Ananias' hands, that Ananias then used those very hands to gently reach out and touch Saul or to touch his life. A kind touch was extended from the hunted to the hunter. You see, Saul was after him and everyone else that professed to believe in Christ. And before Ananias arrived, Saul, the Bible records that for three days that Saul had sat there in the darkness, he had had neither food nor drink for those days, and he likely had not probably had a whole lot of contact with many people, and he was there blind, and he was there frightened, and he was depressed. What was the solution to Saul's problem? Here it is, a friend. That was the solution that God gave, just a gentle touch from a friend on his shoulder. And as Saul felt that touch, that sympathy, that friendship, in his blindness, he tried to turn his face toward the one that would touch him in such a kind and gentle way. And I think about how many friends I have in my life and how a real friend knows how to touch someone when they are hurting and and how to communicate love with that touch. Don't ever underestimate the power of a gentle touch. Look what it says in verse number 12, how that the Bible records that Saul had seen in a vision, God had showed him a man. Notice the man's name was Ananias. God says that this man would come into his life, he would put his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. You see, all of Saul's fears that he had, sitting there in his blindness, in the dark, all of his fears vanished when Ananias gave him the right hand of fellowship. See, a real friend is always there, and a real friend knows the power of a gentle touch. But notice thirdly that a a friend speaks the right words at the right time. The right words. Saul's name. If you've been saved or you know anything about the word of God this morning, Saul's name was eventually changed to what? Paul. But it's interesting because before God changed his name to Paul, There was actually another name that God gave to Saul. And I want you to see it again in verse number 17. Because Ananias put his hands on him and said, Brother Saul. Let's say those two words, Brother Saul. Now, if you are here this morning and you're not familiar with this, I know that years ago when I got saved, it was over 35 years ago, that I I used to come into a church like this and I would hear people talking to each other and I would hear men say to each other, hey brother, and I'd hear another guy say, hey brother, and then I'd hear somebody else say, hey brother, and I thought, this is one big family. And then I started to think this, they don't look at all alike. As a matter of fact, I, I don't even know if they grew up in the same country. But see, to be a brother 
means that you have the same father. You're in the same family. We have some folks visiting today, and I was talking to them after our, our hour, last hour, and, and uh, they were telling me they were visiting here from the Cayman Islands, and, and uh, they were meeting folks around them before the service started. And, I, and they were talking about how where, where they go to church in the Cayman Islands is a lot like our church. And I said, I said our church is a very multicultural church. I said, I, said, I love our church. And, and I, said, I said, when you look around, there's, there is no race here. There's no division here. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. One of, one of the guys, that his skin's a little darker than mine. He calls me his brother from another mother is what he calls me. We have such a good time around here. You know why? Because we're all a part of the family of God. We've been washed in the blood, cleansed in the fountain. Listen, folks, it's all because of Jesus. And for Saul to sit there, a man that hated Christians, and Ananias in his fear, hearing all that he heard about this man named Saul, he comes up to him, he puts his hand on him gently. And even though he didn't understand at all, he could not call Saul brother unless Saul was a part of God's family. You see, God had, God had gloriously saved this man, the most unlikely candidate. And he comes to him and he says to him, brother Saul, in other words, you are now a fellow Christian. And he was called this matter Brother Saul. And, and it might not seem like a big deal to many, but you can better believe after sitting there for three days in the darkness, not knowing what God was going to do in his life, to hear those words, Brother Saul. There was a friend that had come to him. And he was encouraged that day by receiving a kind word. What a gift it is when somebody says a kind word to us. A faithful friend says not just simply kind words, but has the right words at the right time. Look at Proverbs 15, 23. A man hath joy by the answer of his mouth, and a word spoken in due season, how good is it? Just saying the right word. At the right time, Ananias began to share the truth with Saul, but he did it in a gentle, loving way. The first person that Saul after, saw after he heard the truth was this friend that God had sent his way. Look what the Bible says in verse 18. Immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and he rose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. See, over those next few days, what was Ananias doing? He was a friend. He stayed with Saul. He was there for him. He was teaching Saul, encouraging him. He began to introduce him to some of the other believers in Christ. What a powerful uh, uh, example that, that he became to Saul there in Damascus that God gave to Saul a friend who said the right words at the right time. That's a real friend. But then notice from the life of Barnabas, the other man, number four, a friend doesn't waver in his support of a friend. I read this account many years ago, and 
came across my desk again this past week, but it's a true story that back in 1967, this particular account, there was a man by the name of Stu Weber. He was in the United States Army Rangers School in Fort Benning, Georgia. It, this, this training was a brutal training. It was something that was brutal. Why? Because in 1967, if you remember, historically, those were brutal times. What was going on in the world? The war was with Vietnam. It was the backdrop for this these young men trying to survive the heat and the humidity and the rigors of this, this ranger camp. Weber writes of the day that the, their, the, he heard this raspy voice of his drill sergeant who began to bark out his first passionate speech to all those that were in that training camp. And he said to them, we are here to save your lives. He told the young men as they were heading to combat, he says, first, we're going to see to it that you, uh, that you overcome all your natural fears. And secondly, we're going to show you how much incredible stress the human mind and body can endure. And when we are finished with you, you will be the United States Army's best, America's best. He says, you will be confident. You will survive even in combat and you will accomplish your mission. And before he dismissed the formation that day, that raspy voice sergeant gave Weber and his fellow recruits their first assignment. The guys were ready. They thought, okay, what is he going to throw at us? They had prepared themselves mentally, maybe for a 10-mile run in full battle gear. They, they were already envisioning maybe repelling down a sharp cliff. And so what was it that this tough guy was going to throw at them as their first order from him? And here's what he growled. Find yourself a ranger buddy. Find yourself a ranger buddy. He says, you will stick together. You will never leave each other. You will encourage each other. And as necessary, you will carry each other. It was the Army's way of saying this, that difficult assignments require a friend. They require someone that will stay together with you because being together is better. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4.9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. During the first week of Saul's new life, his spiritual training camp, there in Damascus, the Bible introduces us to his newest friend, and that is a man by the name of Barnabas. He had no idea then that God would place next to him the one that the, the church would eventually call the nickname, the encourager or the son of consolation. What a ranger buddy that God gave to Saul in the man by the name of Barnabas. And as Saul left Damascus and he had finished his time of training there in Damascus, and he's now making his way back to the city of Jerusalem. There were many that he encountered, many that were Christians. He would come to men and women who had been healed by Jesus. He would listen to them. He would see the light in their eyes as they told the stories about all that Jesus had done in their lives. All along the way, for about 120 miles, Saul met one person after another 
whose lives had been changed by Jesus. I think about so many in this auditorium this morning, like me, who our lives have been eternally changed by Jesus. Saul met many of these people and he began to hear of all that God had done in their lives through his son. And as he returned to Jerusalem, Saul was looking for more people that, that he could now call brother. But there was a problem. He couldn't find any. Every time he turned around and knocked on a door and tried to track somebody down, there was no one there. The house was empty. And it became more and more evident as time went on that the reason that he couldn't find anyone is because they were all scared to death of him. They had heard all the things that he had done. And so they were hiding from this man that they didn't realize yet that God had changed him. And so as he began looking for them, and the disciples were hiding from them, God began to use someone to help him in this endeavor. Look at verse 26. The Bible says, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. They just would not believe the news. And so what God does is God sends him a friend that would stand with him during this time of need in his life. Look at verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus and he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. I mean, Saul didn't have to look far. Why? Because God brought a friend into his life by the name of Barnabas, a friend that would stand with him and a, st a friend that would stand for him and a friend that would not waver in his support of him. If you have found a friend like this, you know what you have found? A great source of power, a friend that would be with you through thick and thin. Barnabas's friendship wasn't just short time. Barnabas was in this for the long haul. He became Saul's friend, they, as you study the Word of God, they began to start churches together and they began to travel and spread the good news of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were missionaries together. Hey, listen, there were times where they didn't even agree. They disagreed, but they still stayed together. Barnabas was the kind of friend that Saul needed. He was the kind of friend that stayed with him. He supported him. When I think about these two friends and I think about Saul who became Paul. I think about how Ananias and Barnabas, how they helped, listen to this, change the world. Because when you study the word of God, you find that Saul became Paul. That God used this man to record, to write down what we now call 13 books in our New Testament of our Bible. He, he traveled the world, his world extensively and won many people to Christ. He began to do so many great things, but all of that started by a friend or friends. You see, the, the power of a friendship. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 17, look at these words, a friend loveth at all times. When I think of that verse, I think of Jesus. 
You see, Jesus loves us all the time. God is good all the time. He has been good to us all the time. As a faithful friend, Jesus will always be there for you. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly, and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Can I tell you, listen, Jesus is never going to waver in his support for you. God loved us before we ever loved him. I think about how faithful he has been to us. The Bible tells us in Luke 7, 34, the Son of Man is coming eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber. Look at these words, a friend of publicans and sinners. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. None else could heal our soul's diseases. No, not one. No, not one. No friend like him is so high and holy. No, not one. No, not one. And yet, no friend is so meek and lowly. No, not one. No, not one. There's not an hour that he is not near us. No, not one. No, not one. No night so dark, but his love can cheer us. No, not one. No, not one. Was there a gift like the Savior given? No, not one. Will he refuse us a home in heaven? Eternal bliss? No, not one. Jesus knows all about our struggles. He will guide till the day is done. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. Jesus is a faithful friend. And he knows like Ananias did. And he knows like Barnabas. He knows the power of a gentle touch. Remember the woman that had the infirmity? She had been that way for many years. And she thought, if I could just get to Jesus, if I could just touch God, my life would be changed. You know God is in the life-changing business? Whatever you're going through this morning, He wants to touch your life. I think about what the Bible says in John 15, Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Did you hear that word? Remember what Jesus called Judas before he betrayed him? He called him friend. Jesus loves everyone. And he gave his life for you this morning. Because you are his friend. Would you bow your heads this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? Because as we said this morning... Ananias came to Saul in his time of need and he had the right words to say at the right time. And I can't think of a verse that is more fitting than this time that we're at right now because at the end of our services here at our church, we give what we call an invitation. 
Now, this isn't your friend, and this isn't this pastor inviting you. This is Jesus, the Son of God, extending an invitation to you this morning. Jesus knows the right words to say and at the right time. And the Bible records in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Would you allow the Lord to come into your life today? Instead of you living your life the way you want, would you acknowledge that God has given you your life? And God doesn't want you to perish someday. The Bible says He's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That means that God wants you to see yourself for who you are, and that is that we're sinners. You see, we've all done things wrong. The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. But see, if you're here this morning, that means that you had a friend that loves you enough that they said, why don't you come and be my friend on friend day? And I'm so glad you took them up on that, and you came. But see, no matter how great your friend is that brought you, there's never been a friend like Jesus. Because he gave his life for you. And he wants you to accept the gift that he gave. And that is, he shed his blood so that you can have eternal life. That you can have a home in heaven someday. There's never been a friend like the lowly Jesus. No matter what you've done in your life, here's what he's saying to you today. I stand at the door. I'm knocking on your heart today. Will you open your heart? Will you let me into your life? Will you trust me by faith so that you can have a home in heaven someday? How many of you this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, how many of you would say, God has been speaking to me this morning and I realize that I'm not saved and I want to go to heaven someday. Pastor, would you pray for me that I would settle this before it's too late? Would you raise your hand this morning that I, God's been speaking to me. I see that hand. You can put it up, put it right back down. I see that hand. Now, I'm not saved, but I want to know how I can go to heaven someday. Anyone else this morning, just slip your hand up and you put it right back down. I'm not sure. I see that hand. Thank you. You can put it down. Anyone else this morning? Anyone at all? How many of you could say by an upraised hand, I do know for sure that I'm, I'm going to heaven someday because I'm trusting in Christ and his shed blood. Could you raise your hand this morning as a testimony? I am saved. That's a wonderful sight this morning. Would you stand with me this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? As the piano plays, no one moving around. We'll be done in just a moment.
I want to thank you for listening so well this morning. But those that raised your hand just a minute ago, would you respond to the Lord this morning? Would you give God an opportunity to help you to know for sure? Hey, I remember it was 35 years ago. I remember the, 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 the unrest in my heart not knowing. I'm so glad that I settled it. The Bible says, behold, today is the day of salvation. Why don't you step out as the piano's playing this morning? We have ladies that can take a lady and take the word of God and show you how you can know for sure. Would you come this morning?